Hey folks, love to tell you about Boyer's Coffee. Brewed in the Rocky Mountains since 1965. Always smooth, always consistent, and so many great flavors to choose from. Yep, I'm sipping on a cup of coffee right now. Sumatra from Boyer's Coffee. Go to boyerscoffee.com, find your favorite flavors, treat yourself, and that package of great coffee will be on your doorstep within 48 hours. That's how I do it. It's also available in your markets. Coffee is important to all of us. Most of us start our day that way. And why not go with a great brand that's local, that's environmentally conscious, that's been a a great member of our community for well over 50 years. It's Boyer's Coffee, boyerscoffee.com. Steel Power Tools. There are so many out there to help you get the job done in your front yard, in your backyard, in the side yard, helping you on the front uh, porch, get everything blown off. Maybe it's the garage. You get the picture. Go to steeldealers.com, S-T-I-H-L, and you'll find one in your neighborhood because there's more than 10,000 around the country. Go to Steel USA, and you can look at all of their products. That's S-T-I-H-L, steelusa.com. So many wonderful products for the amateur and for the professional. And I told you recently I was out at their uh, terrific new facility built in the last few years out near the airport. And uh, I didn't realize how many (laughs) different tools they actually had. Um, So if you are in any way, shape, or form adding to what you have to help out in the yard or you're just uh, perusing, maybe you're going to buy yourself a Christmas present or maybe it's somebody close to you. Go to SteelUSA.com and you'll find uh, many things that you want to wrap up and put under the tree. That's S-T-I-H-L, Steel Dealers, SteelUSA.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, talking about the World Cup and ties suck. Another quarterback controversy in the NFL. Plus, part one of Drew's conversation with KOA radio personality and former Denver Bronco, Alfred Williams. You got to play the game the right way if you want to feel good about it when you're done. And if you don't play the game the right way, Drew, you'll have a lifelong relationship with woulda, coulda, shoulda. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Hey, welcome in, everybody. It is show number 177. Happy, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> love Thanksgiving. Who doesn't love Thanksgiving? What a great holiday. We eat like pigs and we watch football all day. And maybe we get off the couch and play a little football also. OG football. Old guy football. But I'm going uh, to try to get get my boys out there and, and, and play a little little turkey bowl football with uh, with all of their buddies look forward to it on the holiday scale you know christmas way way near to the top of the food chain and for me thanksgiving love thanksgiving man nothing better so uh make sure you have uh, a great time with all of your family and um and eat well eat well i'm sure you will well really excited to uh talk to my buddy alfred williams uh in part one of a two-parter, because we uh, covered a lot of ground. So we'll get to that in a little bit. We're going to do a first here on the uh, old Drew Goodman podcast. We are going to start with soccer. In fact, 
it may be a first period in that, forget starting with soccer, I don't know if I've ever talked about soccer on this program before. But we have a, a little tournament called the World Cup going on. I'm not a huge soccer fan. Never have been. And I've done virtually, you know, from a broadcast standpoint, seemingly every sport under the sun. I love, you know, the different sports. I've never broadcast soccer, nor I think right now would I, uh, because I don't feel like I know it well enough. I know enough to be dangerous. Um, I have enjoyed watching soccer at times in the past, but I'm not somebody that gets up early in the morning and watches the the Premier League. Um, I I never gone. Uh, I'll admit this to a Rapids game. Uh, I I have great respect, as I do for all elite athletes, and certainly the ones that we're watching in the World Cup are in in many cases the best of the best, and certainly when you're watching. You know, France play or Brazil play. I know Argentina got upset as we speak, but uh, that messy led squad on paper is really good. So I was all in watching the U.S. take on Wales in uh, the first game uh, for both countries. I did not miss a second of it. It wasn't like on in the background. Okay, I'm aware of this. I, I sat on the couch and I was all in and I was riveted and I thought with my limited knowledge of soccer, but knowing sport a little bit. Um, I, the, it looked like Team USA dominated the first half. Territorially, uh, they, they possessed the ball far more than Wales did. And ultimately, they come out of that first half with a one nothing lead. It was a beautiful goal. Beautiful goal. And then the second half comes around, and it was like the script was completely flipped. And I don't know if, well, did Wales get more aggressive or did the U.S. sit back and, and try to protect the one nothing lead? And then there was the, the penalty in the box that led to the penalty kick, the foul in the box, I guess. And, you know, from that distance, that's like a dunk, right, in basketball for a guy who's 6'10". Virtually impossible to stop that shot. And so the um, the game ends in a 1-1 tie. And I'm thinking to myself, first of all, I hate ties. And it's the World Cup. So I know in the next round there can't be ties and you get it to shootouts and that sort of thing. But ties awful, especially in a major sporting event. Ties should never happen. We have done our best to eliminate that from football, certainly at the collegiate level. We have. Even at the professional level, it's hard for things to end in a tie. The Broncos have tried hard, though, on three occasions this year. And I know in hockey, they've pretty much eliminated the likelihood that there's going to be a tie with three on three for five minutes and then and then a shootout. So I'm not big on ties. Not big at all on, on ties. And here's the other thing with soccer. The, the, the two things that I came away with that kind of bugged me still. And I, I'm not trying to be Scrooge here because I love the pageantry. I love how it is truly the world sport. Every country in the world plays soccer. Not every country plays American football. Not every country even plays basketball. A lot do. Not every country obviously plays baseball. Not every country plays hockey. Every place, it seems, plays soccer. So I'm in. I get it. I'm just bitching here for a moment. There are too few scoring opportunities 
Turner, the goalie for the United States, he made that great save where he tipped the ball over on a header over the top of the net. I think he had one other save. So he had two saves. And the uh, the keeper for Wales had only one save. I mean, there's just not enough scoring chances. So that, you know, is a detractor for me. And the other deal is, which is almost comical, in every other time sport, there's a clock on the screen. You know, oh man, they're inside two minutes to go. They're inside one minute to go. There's 30 seconds left. The clock is moving. There's 10 seconds left. Well, in soccer, because of injury time, it's almost arbitrary where all of a sudden the the main referee blows his whistle and it's like, we're done here, and off they go. And you don't, as a fan at least, and, and the players, I think, have a better idea because they, they put something, you know, one of the guys on the side kind of has, you know, you know, holds up a, you know, a monitor or something that says how much time is left in injury time. But it's still seemingly somewhat arbitrary. And unless you're looking in that general direction, you don't know how much is left. That's crazy to me. Anyhow. Having said all that, hopefully the United States, uh, you know, as we speak, they have England coming up, which will be a tall order, uh, then Iran, and they can get out of um, they can get out of uh, pool play. We'll see what happens. I was talking to a guy uh, uh, who really knows soccer the other day, and I said, now, if the United States were to somehow win the whole World Cup, which I understand is not going to happen, he said that would be bigger than the U.S. <laughs> beating the Soviets in hockey in 1980. That's still how far we have to go and climb um, to be relevant at the very top echelon of, uh, of football, as they call it everywhere else in the world. But I'm in. I'm watching. So those were my, my uh, I'll steal a Yiddish term, my kafetches, uh on, on soccer after watching game one. On to... American football. The big story, as I as I tape this on a Wednesday, is that Zach Wilson has been removed as the starting quarterback of the Jets. Now, the Jets had two yards of offense in the second half and a loss to New England last Sunday. And Wilson has not been great so far, second-year quarterback out of BYU. But it seems like he lost his starting job more because of his reaction and his interaction with the media and maybe also players in his locker room in that he didn't feel like he was to be blamed at all and didn't seem overly concerned with the lack of offensive production and some guys were raising an eyebrow at him. So after saying, Robert Saylor, the head coach, after saying that you know, it's his job uh, going forward still. He did an about-face within 48 hours. And not only is he not starting uh, this coming week, he's not even going to be active. He's going to be the number three quarterback. He's going to be inactive. It got me thinking about quarterbacks again. And you've heard me talk about quarterback play and the fact that the league as a whole is very impatient with quarterbacks. Look no further than Tua Tungaviola. People want to run him out of Miami. People are calling him a bust. And now all of a sudden, Tua's a pretty good player. Miami likes Tua. You can win with Tua. I think of the team that I followed 
and, and continue to follow, if you follow this podcast, you know that, the New York Giants my whole life. Four Super Bowl titles. They were won at quarterback by Phil Simms, good player when he played. Not a great player, good player, had some good seasons. I don't know if he was ever looked upon as a top five NFL quarterback when he played, but he was good, not great. Sims was hurt when the when the Giants beat Buffalo in 90, and Jeff Hostetler, who was probably one of the best backups in football and eventually kind of got a starting job after leading the Giants in the Super Bowl to that win over Buffalo. Scott Norwood, thankfully, missed the, the long field goal. And then the other two were, were won by Eli Manning. And my point is that Eli, who may go to the Hall of Fame because he's a two-time Super Bowl champion, he's got the right last name, he was a good quarterback. He wasn't a great quarterback. I don't think you could say any of those guys were top five quarterbacks, certainly top three or four quarterbacks in the league, and yet they won titles. And we've seen other more pedestrian quarterbacks, not in the same breath as an Eli Manning or a Phil Simms, um, become champions. You know, going back, Brad Johnson, uh, you know, Trent Dilfer, you, you know the names. Which, again, got me to looking at San Francisco now, and I watched them the other day, and I mean, they score 30 points with ease, and they have so many weapons. We know they added Christian McCaffrey, they have Debo Samuel. Uh, they're, they're loaded up. They're loaded up, and yet at the start of the year, they wanted to hand the keys to um, their team to Trey Lance who they drafted number one. And they were moving on from uh, from Jimmy G. And Jimmy G, they couldn't even find a taker for Jimmy G. And then Trey Lance, as we know, goes down with an injury, a, a season-ending injury. And it wasn't like he was lighting it up when he got hurt, by the way. And, I, and albeit he's young. And so they have to go now with Jimmy G. Well, Jimmy G, last week, throws four touchdown passes. The 49ers blow out Arizona down in Mexico City. And you're looking on, and it's Thanksgiving. This is where teams start to reveal themselves. Are they contenders or pretenders? Well, like anybody that understands anything about football looks at the 49ers and says, hey, a lot of talent there, particularly on offense. They are a contender. And they're a contender with a guy that they had written off and tried to get rid of in in Jimmy Garoppolo. We, with that quarterback spot, man, we get impatient, and we always look adoringly across the street. The Broncos did that with Russell Wilson, who'd been a tremendous player for a decade in Seattle. And maybe Wilson still turns out okay. Right now, it doesn't look pretty. We know that. It leads me to one of my favorite phrases, and it is applicable in so many areas of sport and life. The enemy of good is great. We have a pretty good player, but man, we think that guy can be a great player. Trey Lance, Jimmy G. You want to go way back? The Broncos, I know it's been a bad year to talk about the Broncos. The Broncos had John friggin' Elway. Great player, right? We knew he was a great player. He was in his prime, and the Broncos decide to draft Tommy Maddox in the first round. Enough said there. It happens all the time. Look at Green Bay. Green Bay has Aaron friggin' Rodgers, and they draft that kid out of Utah State, Jordan Love, who's never played, in the first round. 
Not in the sixth round, hey, we're intrigued by this guy. You know, yeah, we have Drew Bledsoe, but, you know, we'll, we'll draft a quarterback. You know, hopefully becomes a backup quarterback and he's, and he's pretty solid like a Tom Brady, right? This is drafting a first-round quarterback because the enemy of good is great. Now, in the case of Elway, he was great. We knew that at the time. In the case of Aaron Rodgers, great, great, not good, great. I don't know what those teams were thinking at the time. Um, So right now with Jimmy G, they go out and get Trey Lance. They could ultimately win a Super Bowl this year with the guy that they were trying to push out the door and couldn't find any takers in Jimmy Garoppolo, who I think is a good player, not necessarily a great player, some accuracy issues at times, but guys rallied behind him. And all I know is Mark the 49ers down every week for 30, 35 points in a league where teams aren't scoring that much. And they may be the last one standing with a guy that they were trying to get rid of. Yep, the enemy of good is great. Everybody's always looking for that next guy. All right. Time now to talk to an old friend and a guy that you hear from on a regular basis now on KOA. He was on the fan for a number of years, Alfred Williams, Big Al. He's got that, you know, gregarious personality, that infectious laugh. And with Alfred, he has been a mainstay in Colorado, first as a as a great collegiate athlete and helping leading Colorado to the national championship in 90, uh, and then ultimately being a two-time Super Bowl champion with the Broncos. He was originally drafted by Cincinnati, went on to San Francisco. But we touch on some topics that um, you may have not heard him expound on much over the years, even though he's on every day for three hours. Some of his early experiences at Colorado, um, kind of the epiphany he had when he was playing uh, for the 49ers. He He tells some great Coach McCartney stories. I think you're going to um, see a part of Alfred Williams in part one of our two-part conversation that uh, you hadn't heard before. So sit back and enjoy, and um, here's part one with Big Al. All right, I'm going to take you all the way back. First time that I remember, well, I remember covering you, and then I remember, first time I ever having a conversation with you, you'll never remember this, but it was at the Orange Bowl, and you guys were hanging out outside, and I was outside, and the funny thing about back then for me, Al, is I wasn't a whole lot older than you at that time. <laughs> I don't think you're a whole lot older than me now. <laughs> yeah, see how that works? I mean, it, yeah, it's just chronologically, it kind of stays the same, which is a good thing. You know, that means we're on the we're on the right side of the grass. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, when when you were uh, when you were up in Boulder, and I know because you know we've known each other forever, but I know how important Boulder and, and the state of Colorado has become to you. But you were this kid from Houston, Texas. How much of a culture shock initially was it for you coming from Houston to, to Colorado and, and, and Boulder specifically? It's what I wanted. I wanted I wanted to I wanted first of all I wanted nice things. I wanted things to be beautiful and that's what I got with Boulder and it was um it was welcoming. You know, it was uh it was never really tough. The first thing that 
the first uh, real you know homesickness I got came after uh, uh, maybe the first you know first two weeks because it was I got there early in the summer. And I, uh, I, I was, uh, the only, like one of only two or three people that was, that was, uh, on campus. And so I, I had none of my friends that would become my best friends and, um, around me. And it was just, uh, it was weird because I was just there by myself and there were a couple, you know, seniors that were around that, of course, they were getting ready for the next part of their lives. And, uh, that was the only, that was the only time period where I felt like, Maybe this is not right, but man, after those two weeks were over, man, I was settled in. I was ready to go, man. Just love Boulder and love my opportunity to, to live and and play in Colorado, and and just have been here ever since. Yeah, I mean, th- this is home uh, for you, clearly. How how early on did you realize, from a talent standpoint, the guys around you that you guys had a chance to to be? you know, really good and, and ultimately super special? I don't know if we, I don't, you know, even looking back now, I don't know if we ever talked about those things. You know, the only, you know, we had, we had simple goals, you know, at the University of Colorado. My goal was to beat the guy across from me. That, that was it. That was, that was, um, that was how personalized it was. And if enough people did that, then we would have a positive outcome. Uh, it was never talked about collectively where we could go or what we could do. It was like, Alfred, you have to beat the tackle. Alfred, you have to beat the tight end. If the running back comes your way, you have to tackle him. And that was it. And it was uh, it was the way everybody kind of operated. I just didn't know that we were as good as we were uh, until I was done playing football. And I look back on that group of guys that I played with, and I, and I really see how special a group was that we really had. But Really, Drew, it was really about, you know, winning your one-on-ones. And you, you win enough of them, you win a lot of games. Usually guys talk about the tackle that you play across from if they're really good. I suppose, you know, if, if you were going against Tony Baselli, and I picked Baselli out because he was at Boulder Fairview, he went to SC. But if you're going against a great tackle every day, being a, an edge guy like you were, you're going to get better. Iron sharpens iron. So I'm going to ask you, how much did Canavis McGee's presence, and you guys being close and, and from the same town, all that that sort of thing, how much did his presence make you better? He was the key. He was the key. He was a standard. And uh, he was a much better athlete than me. So uh, everything that he did, uh, I had to try to duplicate, and I, I didn't have very much success that way, uh, like in the weight room or um, or in drills. You know, he was just such a – he was so much better than me as an athlete. Uh, I was a more natural pass rusher, but as far as picking up, putting him down with your feet, man, he was just a special guy. I mean, 6'5", 250 pounds, you know, somewhere around 5% body fat, and he could just do it all. And – he was the he was the primary um, uh, competition that I had to uh, uh, weigh myself against every single day, every single game, and some of his performances were legendary, like the twenty tackles solo twenty solo tackles against University of Oklahoma as an outside linebacker uh, was just it was just like you know you just look at it and you still shake your head today as an outside linebacker nobody had those kind of numbers and. Uh, he was just amazing. He he was the most um, gifted athlete I think I may have played against outside of Barry Sanders. Do you know it's wild and and 
in as much respect as you know I have for you and, and, and going way back, being a lifelong New York Giant fan, when the Giants got Canavis McGee, I remember saying to people because, you know, you guys were both All-Americans and everybody, you know, talked about when they talked about Colorado and defensively, they talked about the bookend, uh, you know, defensive ends, outside linebackers, you know, whatever you want to call it. And I said, Canavis McGee's a better football player than Alfred Williams. That, that was my opinion at the time. Now, who cares what my opinion is? But that's how that's how dominant he was, I felt, in, in college. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, Canavis' uh, trajectory changed after he broke his ankle after we were sophomores. Okay. Uh, and that, that, that kind of um, – kind of set up um, – you know, a run where he was rehabbing to get back to where he was. I mean, he still ran, you know, at 6'5 and 2, once again, 250. He still ran 4'6 at the combine. He left 225, like 20-something times. He's still a great athlete. But, you know, when you, you know, he's got a plate in his ankle from when he broke it. And uh, it just it just changed him a little bit. And, uh, uh, of course, surgery will do that to most people. But when you're young, um, and technology has changed so much from back then to now. You know, it, it, it was, uh, it was, you know, it, he became a different football player. Not saying he wasn't a great player, but he became a it, more, more forced than he was finesse. And, uh, and, and that, that made him a different football player. But before he broke his ankle, Drew, you saw it. I mean, you saw it. I mean, it was, it was, it was the most amazing sight. And I had to play opposite him for, <laughs> every week, man, and it was just always understood that this guy was going to bring it all the time. And, you know, he loved the weight room. You know, all the things that I, that, that I hated, he loved, you know. You know, he, he, he ate right. You know, he was always trying to uh, be a better athlete. And I'm not going to lie, I just was happy to be in Colorado, just, you know, happy to get uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and and go to school, and enjoy my friends. And I mean, I just didn't. It just wasn't. It just wasn't that serious. I just had a great college experience, man. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I just had. I had a wonderful time. But you know, Eric Bieniemy, uh, Bruce Young, Canavis uh, McGee, you know, George Hemingway. Those guys took it serious, man. And I wish that I would have. Looking back. I wish that I would have taken it more seriously. Maybe I would have been a better player. Well, you were a hell of a player. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. You were a unanimous All-American. You won the Buckets Award. You're in the College Football Hall of Fame. On and on. I mean, literally, you accomplished a great deal. Was there, was there a point in time professionally, because I do want to go back to college, but professionally where you felt like, man, the light went on and you went from being a really good football player to being an elite player at the NFL level. Obviously, you were elite in college. Well, I was uh, I was in my fifth year playing for the San Francisco 49ers, and I had turned down this amazing contract in Cincinnati to go to San Francisco to play for what well, was a little bit more than league minimum. Um, and uh, I learned to play football there. And once I learned it, you know, I was it, it was clear that I could dominate almost on at, at will, you know, and it was. Uh, it was a fun time in my life, and um, it took it took the 49ers to get that out of me. You know, I remember in practice one day, you know, and I was like, uh, you know, basically just just running around guys, just having a great time, and 
just really kicking ass. And then uh, somebody said something to me, and, uh, uh, and I said, you couldn't beat the Cincinnati Bengals. And, uh, and they had just won the Super Bowl the year before. And George Dyer, you know, I mean, uh, George Seifert, uh pulled me over to the side, and he said, you know, uh, you do realize that we won the Super Bowl last year. I said, we're not playing like it. And the next thing I know, I was getting drug counseling. <laughs> like, what is wrong with this dude? And then I check in with the alcohol uh, specialist, the drug specialist. I met with Dr. Uh, Harry, uh, what's his name? Uh, Harry Edwards. Harry Edwards. I was meeting with Dr. Harry Edwards. They referred me over to all these people. They thought I was nuts, man. I was just, you know, once again, I was, you know, I, I really thought that the San Francisco 49ers had Super players, you know what I'm saying? Right. What they had, what they had was really good players like everybody else, but they were better coached and they, and they, and they knew what they wanted to do it and knew how to attack the opponent and they were just better at executing in the clutch. And that's the difference between a great football organization and one that is not, you know, and that is, uh, that's what I learned from there. And then I just took that experience and I just moved it over to the Broncos and it was just, I was off and running. I knew then after I left after I left the San Francisco 49ers, I knew I could play with anybody in the world. Hey, Al, from position standpoint, position um, coaching standpoint, is there an enormous difference team to team at this point in the NFL in your estimation? I can't imagine that one guy has all the tricks and somebody else has never seen certain drills or certain ways to place hands, that sort of thing. I mean, in this day and age, can there be a dramatic difference? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can have, you can have, uh, you can have a running back coach, we'll just take that position, who understands how to, how to run with the football. You could be, a guy who's never ran with the football, but he understands nuance of the position. Let's take a guy like Bobby Turner, and you say, well, uh, well, who is Bobby Turner? Bobby Turner has coached some of the best running backs in the history of the NFL, including my very own teammate, Terrell Davis. And every running back that he coaches seems to know how to get five yards a carry. But how is he doing that? It's because he always – always talks about what is happening during the play with the other running backs during practice. The other running backs are getting coached during practice while there's an active runner who's in the game. So nobody ever has downtime to think about nothing else except how they're going to get their, when they get their chance, how they're going to do it the same or better. And that, that's a unique proposition because sometimes coaches will just sit on the sideline and just, you know, they'll, they'll just stand with their group and not say a word. Bobby Turner, man, you know, he always, he always coaches. I, you know, talking to Terrell Davis and, and some of the other, Von Hebron and some of the other guys that he's coached, he says, you know, it's annoying. <laughs> but, but, but you get a lot of information. Let's just say half of it sticks, okay? Well, then you got half, you, you have, have more information than the other guy had that running back coach who just sat there and watched and then you got back to the meeting room and, and then you uh, start reviewing the film. You got, you know, you got, at least you, you took in 50% more of what the other guys didn't even get. You know what I'm saying? So 
Um, it's it's a huge deal, man. Like the one, the the biggest difference between great organizations is the deep, the, the attention to details that's given by the assistant coaches. That is the difference between championship organizations and those that are not. And you ended up playing for two that definitely had that from top to bottom, the 49ers and obviously the Broncos, correct? Absolutely, and the University of Colorado. I want to go back to CU for a moment because I know uh, how you hold Coach McCartney in such high esteem, um, you know, and so many guys that played for him talk about him reverentially. When I do as I'm about to do and say Bill McCartney, what are the first three or four things that come to mind that make him so special to you? I'd say, I'd say that he was it, was, it was a simple style and he was a fantastic speaker. He was a, everything, like when I tell you that my job at the University of Colorado was to win against a tackle or the tight end, you just got to imagine that is being taught from left to right on the defense, left to right on the offense, and also on the special team. And it, it became personalized. You know, like it was the first time that somebody just said, look, you just got to be him. And if you do that and then your guy next to you does that, uh, then we're going to win. But his Thursday night speeches, Drew, man, I mean, you, you'd run through a brick wall Thursday night. I mean, we could have played the game on Thursday night, man. We'd be, you know, we wouldn't have never lost the game. I mean, the guy was a phenomenal speaker, man. I mean, just the, the things that he would talk about and the, uh, and the ways that he simplified them so that we could all feel the same, uh, about a common opponent, man. It was just, it was amazing. You know, you know, it, it was, it was, it was the best. It was the best time of my life, man. It was, and I'm saying that after winning a couple of Super Bowls and and, and garnering some accolades along the way. But I'm telling you, it was the best time of my life. Gee, I'll tell you a quick funny story. I may have told you this years ago, Alfred. Um, I was doing one of your games. Or, actually, I don't. I, you were gone, I, but I had to see you when Coach Mack was there. You were already in the NFL, but at this point, and it was a Friday walkthrough. And, and you know, as because you've been in the media business now forever, you know when you're doing a game, you, you know you visit with the coaches, and, and you typically go to Friday walkthrough in college football, and then Saturday if it's an NFL game. Anyhow, I'm at one end of the field, and Coach Mack is now at the other end of the field. Um, and he and he yells to me, says, Drew, and Al, I start jogging, like striding down to that end of the field. And about a halfway there, I'm going, wait a second. I don't play anymore. What am I doing? I'm an announcer. I'm like running like, hey, coach, call me. I got to get my ass there quick. <laughs> man, I'm telling you, man, you know, it was, uh, you know, the, the, you know the, the best part about playing for Coach Matt was uh, his, uh, his, his, his Thursday speeches and his speeches before, uh, the, before the game, man. It was. Some of them were legendary. We were playing uh, Iowa State, uh, and they had this great, they had this great running back by the name of Blaze Bryant, and he's absolutely. A, I remember of, him. He was one tremendous. One of the greats uh, that I played against in college, and I think he was, you know, I think leading the country 
in rushing. And I'll never forget this speech. We were sitting there, all the seniors sat in the front row, um, you know, and Mac would get all animated before the game. And, you know, this, at this time, you know, we're, we're, we're seasoned, right? We're used to winning and we're sitting uh, in the front, in the front row. And Mac is talking about playing against uh, Blaze Bryant. And, you know, you know, he said that we got to be like a lion. And when the lion sees his prey and he catches his prey, he roars! <laughs> like that. So, so all the seniors, man, we sitting in the front seat. We look at each other. We bust up laughing. And so we, we leave the meeting and um, – we leave the meeting and we go out on uh, game day. We warming up and we getting ready to play, and uh, we're playing in the game. And Terry Johnson, man, true story, man. Terry Johnson tackles Blaze Bryant, and he looks at me, and I'm on the tackle as well. And he says, "Oh!" <laughs> <laughs> man, Blaze Bryant looked at us. I was laughing, and TJ was laughing. He looked at us like. What is wrong with y'all? <laughs> <laughs> hey man, every time I see TJ, man, we laugh about that, man. I'll never forget that, man. <laughs> that was a fantastic day, man. We won the game, but Blaze Bryant, you know, ended up playing for the Broncos, I think, for a minute. And uh, every time I would see him, man, we'd bring it up, man. He he chuckled, he chuckled, but it was it was very cool. Do you know what's wild? There are certain guys, and, and I'm sure you can, uh, you, you know, you have them off the top of your head, that are just unbelievable motivators. And Bill McCartney, and I wasn't privy to all the speeches, naturally, that, that you were, but I've been around him enough that, yeah, I mean, he'll get, he, you could run, you'd run through a wall for him. Fisher DeBerry was that way. I mean, he could give a speech <laughs> And you're like the hair standing up on, on on the back of your neck, and you're ready to go. It doesn't matter who you are, or where you are, and, and and Mac had that. And it takes me to another subject, and it, and it's relevant right now for your alma mater. It's relevant, quite frankly, for the Broncos, and it's something I get on my soapbox, Al, about frequently. We always want to make the next head coaching candidate the play caller for some successful team. Um, and uh, that, that uh, you know, is, is done really well and he's calling the plays, therefore he should be the next head coach. My point is it's about leading people. And you can be a tremendous leader and not be the X's and O's guy. Let Leave that to someone else. And, and Mac was that guy. Do you concur with that level of thinking? I do. I do. I, I... I think when you are, you know, when, 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 you, when you start categorizing guys not only by uh, the proficiency of the job that they do as coaches, but you also look at the job of inspiration, then if you can match that, man, then you're talking about something special, man. I mean, that, that, that you know, it's not just being proficient as a coach, but how do you inspire your guys uh, to give – you the best possible effort uh, in the most critical and you know moments of the game, and to to be ready for that moment. You know, sometimes you have to go through it, and and certainly when I was at the University of Colorado when I was younger, we had to go through our growing pains and and uh, uh, until we could get to a high proficiency level. But I'll tell you the the, the thing that that 
was always present, even with the guys who were there earlier than me that um, it did not have the same kind of success on the field. They always uh, reference Coach Mack and how he is able to, you know, just just get the guys to to play the game the right way. You got you got you got to play the game the right way if you want uh, to feel good about it when you're done. And if yeah. you don't play the game the right way, Drew, you'll have a lifelong relationship with woulda, coulda, shoulda. <laughs> Which is not fun. It's not fun at all. You know, like uh, I said, you know, I played it, I played, and I'm, and you know the success I had as a college football player. If I would have done the same things as, you know, some of my teammates, like I said, who knows? Maybe I would have been the first pick in the NFL draft. Maybe we would have not tied Illinois uh, my senior year. Uh, uh, excuse me, lost to Illinois my senior year, uh, and 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 you know maybe the game against Missouri wouldn't have been as close. You always think about those things, but uh, we we came out on the right side of it as a football team, and and I'll take it. But I wish that I would have learned to play the way that I did when I was with the Forty ers Hey, by the way, um, I don't know if I've ever asked you this. Maybe I have at some point. The fifth down, the, the Missouri thing. When you're standing there on the sideline. Um, are are you aware in real time what what happened or not till afterward? <laughs> Great story here. So I'm on the sideline and I'm watching this game unfold and I am talking to my coach, um, Coach Simmons, and I tell Coach Simmons that was fourth down. They spiked the ball on fourth down. And he said to me, he said to me, Alfred, the neighbors, linebackers, put your helmet on. When we score, we're running into the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> he knew, I knew we were sitting there. It was like, that was first, that was second, that was third. They clocked it on fourth. <laughs> and, and, and they allowed them to run the play on fifth down. And I don't even know if CJ really scored on that one. Right. And so and so when 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 we uh when we run off into the locker room, uh, Coach Mack tells everybody we got to go back out on the field because back then it wasn't good enough to win the game. You had to kick the extra point. Oh my God! Oh, I forgot about that. You had to come back out onto the field. So when we came back out onto the field, man, we were getting pelted with everything. I mean, pelted <laughs> with everything. And I know that student section was upset, but I'm telling you, the field was the worst field conditions I've ever played uh, on in my entire life, including high school. The field was horrible that day. I mean, we we slept, uh, we we were slipping and falling all around the entire field all day long. We could not catch, you know, we changed shoes two or three times, and we couldn't get our footing. So it was uh, it was frustrating to say the least. One of the things I've always loved about Alfred, he's candid, he's fun to be around, he loves sports, and, and you can hear it in some of the things he said just initially, he loves Colorado. He's like me. I love Colorado. We're adopted Coloradans, both from different ports originally. You'll hear more from, uh, from Alfred next week, and he'll talk about the state of the buffs and how to fix the buffs. He'll talk about the state of the Broncos, and he'll also reveal to you some things that I don't believe he's ever talked about um, publicly. 
He's a good man, and uh, he's a good friend, and um, we'll do that next week on part two with Alfred Williams. Before we get on out of here, uh, I want to give uh, an attaboy to the, to the Colorado Avalanche. You know I love the Avalanche, and just like all of you, and, and the Avalanche are Stanley Cup champions, and they're and they're an absolute blast to watch. And I felt like the first few months of the season, especially without Landeskog, little hangover from you know a short summer when you win the Cup. That that's always the case. That that they kind of hold serve through the first half of the season, then really pick it up. Uh, when the calendar flipped to 2023, and that they would be positioned to make a, another great run at a at a cup, and I still believe that to be true. They're actually performing better out of the gate um, amid a number of injuries than I than I thought they would, and I think the best early season news, other than the fact that the record may be better than some people speculated early on, again because of the injuries and because of the shortened summer, is that Georgiev has been great in goal. I mean, terrific. He's got a save percentage, as we talked today, of of 93%, which is top three in the league. He has truly been an elite goaltender so far and just makes you go, well, Joe Sackick and his group did it again. You know, there was... There have been so many times over the last few years where you point to Joe Sack and you say, yeah, he knew best. He knew best when he drafted Nathan McKinnon, number one. When there was speculation, maybe you go in a different direction. And Darcy Kemper, good for Darcy Kemper. He wins the Stanley Cup. They let him go, and their scouting staff saw something in Georgiev, who was you know playing behind arguably the best goaltender in the world, that he could be a a true backstop for a Stanley Cup contender again. And so far, they're absolutely right. Francois, by the way, has played well uh, additionally when he's had uh, opportunities, beat Carolina twice uh, as we speak. So again, hats off to, uh, to the Avalanche. And guess what? We'll do it again next week in seven days. It'll be part two with, uh, with Alfred Williams. Big shout out to my man Marky for uh, producing uh, and editing our show each and every week. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. I'm looking forward to uh, to hanging with my boys, playing a little turkey bowl and watching a lot of football and um, and eating plenty of turkey and sweet potatoes. That's my that's my favorite food on Thanksgiving. Not that I don't have it at other times in the year, but sweet potato, little butter, and cranberry sauce. All right. Again, have a great Thanksgiving. We'll talk again in uh, in seven days. Enjoy the uh, the long weekend, everyone. Take care.